You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. And uh, don't, get, don't get comfortable in this earth. I feel it. I feel it in the atmosphere. I feel it in the spirit. Amen. I don't know when the Lord is coming back, but I just can't see how it can be much longer. And now is not the time to live your life on autopilot, but now is the time to live for the Lord stronger than ever before. Amen. amen. I, I don't want to just sit back. I don't just want to, amen, be a spectator. I want to be a part, amen, of the body of Christ and the Lord's army. Amen. Go with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter number 7 tonight. Matthew chapter number 7 tonight. We'll continue, amen, looking at another portion of... The Sermon on the Mount, amen. And I want to preach tonight something the Lord laid on my heart, amen, this week, just personally in devotion, and uh, God just began to speak to me some things, and so I wrote it down, and so <coughs> I feel led to share it with you tonight, amen. And I feel like I want the Lord just to do surgery on me. Sometimes we need the Lord to do surgery on us, and take care of some things. This morning, I just felt led of the Lord just to talk to you. Amen. We need to be like Jesus. That needs to be our number one objective, our number one goal. And if that doesn't make you excited, if you're not happy about that, if that's not your desire, then, then really nothing else, everything else we do in here is just showmanship and entertainment. Because at the end of the day, we've got to be about the Lord. And tonight, I want to go a little bit farther and look at something else here. And that's this. He says in, in chapter 7, verse 1, we'll read the first five scriptures, uh, verses. He says, Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And then he goes on, continuing in this same vein and line of thought. He continues on, this judge not lest you be judged thought. And he says this. He said, And why beholdest thou the mote, that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. And then he gives us a warning, and he pushes back, and he says this, thou hypocrite. Now, if there's anything that God has no tolerance for, it is hypocrisy. God is gracious to sinners, but God does not have tolerance for hypocrisy. Don't claim to be something that you're not. And he said, thou hypocrite, and look at what he says, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Now I find it interesting here that he does not say, you have no business looking at your brother or helping your brother. He says, no, but you will never be able to do that while you have this beam in your own eye. And you've got to take care of this. And after you've taken care of this, then you go to the other. And you help in a loving way. And you help get that. In other translation, it says a speck out of their eye. Amen. I want to talk to you if I can Tonight, guarding against blind spots. Guarding against blind spots. Amen. Can we lay our Bibles down and let's ask God to anoint his word to our heart. 
Amen. It's hearing to our spirit in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. We give you glory tonight. God, we exalt your name. We declare your truth in this house and your glory. I pray your word would have God liberty to speak into our life, Lord. Speak into our heart tonight. You know every need, every family, every situation. God, we come to you in surrender and humility and submission tonight. I pray you'd have authority in our hearts in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And the church said in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> He's talking here of a speck and a beam. Another translation would say a twig and a log. But there is a speck, he says, that's in your brother's eye, but yet there's a beam in your own eye. What he is contrasting here is he's not telling us that we have no business helping someone else. In fact, it's the contrary. He endorses and thankfully he uh, admonishes us to be healthy so that we can help someone else. How many has ever gotten a speck of dirt in your eye before? You've gotten something in your eye and it bugs you to death. How many has ever gotten a bug in your eye? That's th that'll bug you to death too. Get that in there, that little thing, this little irritant, this little piece of sand speck of sand that blows up off the beach or out of the desert, a piece of dirt that comes in there or something. It's a gnat. It's something small that crawls in there and, 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 and uh, it's there. But literally, this is not talking about this. It's talking about a, a speck or a splinter, something that gets in there. A splinter is an irritant. Not only is it an irritant, not only is it painful, not only is it uh, uh, something that you don't want in there, but you've got to be careful in taking it out because if you're not careful, you can do more damage than you in want and you intend. And here what he's saying to us is he's making a contrast between that which is not obvious and that which is obvious. Obvious. Now, how many of us, we've been living for God for a while and there are things that we can keep in our life that are not obvious. We can hold on to things that are not obvious to other people. How many know what I'm talking about? We can put a smile on our face and we can come to church in such a manner, in such a way that nobody else may know what's going on. We can, like Achan did, take things back into our tent and dig spots and hold them there and nobody else knows in the obvious, but there is a difference. The Bible says that they felt what Achan did. It affected their ability. It affected their, their literal conquest and warfare. They could not go forward with sin in their heart. There are things that we can hide that are not obvious, but then there are other things that are massively obvious. There are other things that you can know. There are there are times where you can engage with people and you can say, okay, I know they need a praying through. Are y'all all right tonight? Is everybody tired? You understand what I'm saying? Like, it's okay, it's okay. There are those obvious things where you can see and you say, okay, I know that they need, man, they need encouragement. Man, they need hope. Man, they need this. There are those 
obvious things. And the Lord here contrasts that which is obvious versus that which is not obvious. That which may not be first identified. Oh, oh now a, a child of God, someone that's mature, that's been living around long enough, you're going to see things in other people. Maybe that other people can't see in them but you see them because you've already been there. You've already done that. You've already walked that path. You, you already know what's going on. And it, and it becomes a little bit more uh, illuminated to you. And, and here the Lord, He is not telling us that we cannot go and help somebody else. In fact, he is, He's not saying that at all. He's saying the opposite. He says that there is a point and there is a place where you can come to someone who has a speck in their eye or someone who has a moat in their eye and you can go help them pull it out or eject it or flush that out or get that out. You can help them remedy them. That is what... Amen. That is one of the greatest benefits and blessings about being in the body of Christ. When the body of Christ is at work biblically according to its manner, it is to restore one another. It is to help one another. It is to lift one another up. It's to help them come alongside and say, hey, brother, or hey, sister, I, I see this is going on. And, and, and this, I've been there. I've done that. This is how we, we've got to deal with this. We've got to get through this. But that's not what the Lord is speaking against. And a lot of people have missed misquoted this passage or misunderstood this passage. They have stood on, on the hill that says, you cannot judge me. In fact, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, you can judge. You can go to someone. And, and that judgment is not meant for condemnation, but that judgment is for a purpose. If you see someone and you see that they are misstepping or they are walking in a way that is not going to be healthy towards them, you owe them the responsibility of loving them to say, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, I, I, I hang in there. Hey, be strong. Hey, we, we want to help you. Now, this is, not, this is not popular preaching, and this is not a popular passage because our society does not welcome this. Our culture does not welcome this. We don't want anybody telling us. We don't want anybody else seeing what's wrong. It's like it's like it's like uh, when somebody comes over and and starts telling you how to mow your lawn. Don't tell me how to mow my lawn. I know how to mow my lawn. Don't tell me. Come on. Or somebody comes and tells you how to do something. We don't want to do that. But what if what if there's a better way? What if somebody's trying to help you? And and this is not the issue that the Lord is getting into. In fact, He's endorsing this. And I'm not here to talk about that tonight because. But we could talk about that because the church, when it is healthy, is to be your greatest asset and your greatest strength. And we ought to, as a people and the body of Christ, we ought to welcome that. We ought to thank God for that. I thank God for every elder in my life that said, son, you, you, you got to be respectful in the house of God. Or, or, or hey, you listen, this is, this is a time of worship and this is a time of prayer. Hey, you be careful there. you you got to be grateful for things. You ought, you ought to thank God. I thank God for elders that came along and told me how much I ought to thank God for my parents. And they admonished me and they helped me. And in a helpful way, they'd come along in their wisdom they would help get those specks out of my eyes, those things that were there. But what the Lord is talking about here is He's talking about the obvious verse, that which is, that is maybe not so obvious. And He's saying here that you are a hypocrite because you are speaking to someone else while you have a beam in your own eye. 
we were in conversation this week and we were talking about certain things, me and another pastor and another minister, and we were talking about issues and why is it that some people can see certain things in certain ways, men, women in the church, even in ministry, can be mightily used of God, but then the other obvious things that sit there, they cannot they cannot look at. You can look through Scripture and you see it. It happens in many times. The most common example probably is Eli. Eli, here he is. He's the prophet of God. He, he, he's the man. But the Bible says that, that his sons were committing uh, uh, atrocities, horrible, horrible, immoral acts at the door of the tabernacle. They were misusing. They were forcing things. It was ungodly. It was despicable. Things that, that we ought not even to mention in public, things that we ought not even to speak of. And yet Eli, somehow, he had a blind spot in his life. He was willing and able to go on and continue. Eli had the wisdom and the soundness of mind to instruct Samuel in the ways of God. How to hear. Here is, here is Eli on one hand talking to Samuel about hear, how to hear the voice of God and how to respond to the voice of God while his sons are literally living in the ways of the devil. There was a blind spot in his life. And so tonight I want to talk, if I can, about blind spots. We've got to guard against blind spots. We've got to be careful that we don't have blind spots in our life. Every single one of us can have them. You can have them. I can have them. Every single person here can have them. And the Lord wants to do his work, but we can have blind spots. I think maybe this is why David would cry out in Psalms chapter 139 when he would say this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. He comes to the Lord and his prayer is God. If there are things that I do not see in my life, I want you to write them before me. I want you to make them plain. I want you to see them, Lord. Search me. See if there's any wicked thing in me. God, he's in essence saying, I've come. I, I, I've given you my life. I, I've done everything I know, but God, I'm aware that I am susceptible to human miscalculation, and there could be things in my life that yet need to be amended. There could be things in my life that yet need to be cut off and repented of and changed. And so, Lord, I am openly giving myself to you. That you would search me and that you would try me and that you would see if there's anything in me. And if there is, God, lead me in the way everlasting. This has to be our heart. This has to be our spirit. Blind spots. We all have them. We all have blind spots. We have, we have uh, times and seasons in our life where we won't see the obvious things that are there. And he says it is possible for you to be able to see, to be able to see the details of someone else's life, but you cannot see, amen, the obvious things that's going on in your life. I wonder if I can have somebody come and help me out tonight. I need a volunteer. See if I can fix this out. Oh, there. Sister Monica, you're smiling. Amen. <laughs> do, you have, do you have that piece of paper with those? Uh, let's see. You write the sermons on there. Can you hold that up? 
There it is. Wow. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Who has really good eyesight? Brother Dalton, you have good eyesight? Come on up here. Help me out. You wouldn't volunteer. I was waiting on you to volunteer, so now, now you do. So go ahead and, and look back there and see if you can just stand out here in the middle and see if you can see. Can you see that piece of paper as they hold it up? If Sister Monica can hold it up, can you read that very well? What do you see? Philip's handwriting's not very good. Can you see it? Do you have anything else written down there? Can you see it? What can you see? You can't read it, but you can see it, right? What's he got there next to you? Yeah? 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 That's all you've got? I can't see any words. What are you seeing? CD case, words there. Can you see you're focusing in on that? Can, what, what else can you see? What else can you see? You can see the computer. You see anything else? No? All right, all right, all right. Put it down, put it down, put it down. Now just look forward. What do you, what do you see? He still doesn't see anything. Do you see anything? What do you see? I see you about, about to hit you with the tree. I didn't have a prop tonight, so I just grabbed what I had in my hand here. We'll have to work on that a little bit. No, 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 no. You're illustrating my point. Come out here and stand in the front. Come out here and stand. Here he is focused in on detail so close, looking at something so far away <coughs> that there's obvious things going on around him. Now, if I had walked him up here and hadn't given him binocular and I'm talking to him and I start picking up, I mean, this, did you hear this thing? I mean, you could hear it falling apart. Could you hear that falling apart back there? You could hear me doing something back there. But you're focused on that. Here it is. What God is saying is you can be so focused on the details somewhere else that you're missing the obvious things that are going on in your life. And while you're trying to read something far off, let's say our future or our past, we're trying to analyze something and look at something else, we can't see what's going on right here around us. And you live life in blind spots. If you're not careful, sin can creep in and other things can creep in because you're focusing. Anything else? Can you, can you read back? Uh, I don't know. We don't have anything else written in here. I guess that's it. You can't, you can't really see anything else. I should have wrote something else somewhere else. But with this kind of binoculars, thank you, you can be seated. With this, you're looking out and here you are. You're analyzing and you're, I mean, if you see a, how do you see a speck in someone else's eye? I mean, you've got to get uncomfortably close. Hello. You've got to get uncomfortably close to somebody else before you start seeing these little kinds of things that are going on. Now, far away, if I notice that there is <coughs> maybe a redness of an eye or the way they're acting or the way they're, you know, if there's an irritant in there, it's going to show up in their behavior. Maybe I could tell by that, but he says all the while you have a beam in your own eye. And so you could have something, you can lose vision in one eye because, not because your eye is not working, but because there's something that's blocking and you're so focused on something else and you're living life with blind spots. 
And we've seen people do that, live life with blind spots. David was living his life with a blind spot. The eulogy says he was a man after God's own heart. It says that he was perfect in all his ways, saving for the cause with with uh, uh, Uriah. And Uriah, here he is. He should be a man at battle. He should be focused on that. But instead, he's got a blind spot. And he's more concerned with covering up an adulterous affair in his life. And so he's living this blind spot. He goes through justified. He's so blind about it that when Nathan the prophet shows up and Nathan gives him a, a parable, David lashes out in retaliation. Nathan says there's a man that has many sheep and, and then there's a man that only has one sheep. And the man that has a lot, that has everything in abundance, he comes and he steals the one from the other man. And David's response, he, he still is maintaining a righteous indignation. He is still maintaining maintaining right standards. He is yet to humble himself. And he points back to Nathan and says, he will repay fourfold. Whoever that man is, he says, not only is he going to have to restore one sheep, he said, but he's going to have to repay fourfold. Nathan has the responsibility to look at him and say, you, sir, are that man. You, sir, are that man. And David is crushed because he realized what he's done. In fact, in God, in all of his wonderful ways that are beyond finding out, God brought the issue to David more than once. And he says, okay, David, you are going to pronounce judgment upon the situation. And David didn't even realize he was pronouncing his own judgment. When he said that man will repay fourfold, he would repay fourfold in his house. He would watch not only, he would not only watch the death of his son, but he would have to watch the death of Absalom. He would watch the death of, a, of, of, of another son. And then he would see his daughter abused and he would have to know that four great atrocities and tragedies in his own family would play out. You've got to imagine the length of time that went from that day that he said, whoever that man is, he will repay fourfold. It didn't happen tomorrow. It didn't happen the next day. David had to live with the anxiety of what is it next? There's three, there's two. What's the next thing? Oh, the grief that would hit his heart when he would realize, oh, if I only did not have a blind spot, if only I would have fallen before the prophet and said, I can't judge that man because I myself need healing. I myself need forgiveness of sins. But he would walk in a blind spot. How is it that the man of God, the one who would become the king, priest type of Jesus Christ, the one through which the Messiah's lineage would come, the one who would write such things like, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked thing in me. How could he have a blind spot? And if he had a blind spot, is it possible for us to have blind spots? Is it possible for us to walk in and out of church on a Sunday and on a Wednesday? Is it possible for us to serve in the house of God and the kingdom of God? And yet there's still a part of our heart that we haven't given to the Lord, but we've held on to for our lust, for consuming in our pleasures. I'm here to preach to somebody tonight that we've got to guard against the blind spots. We've got to be careful when we're sitting on the pew and the Word of God goes forth that we don't try to figure out who that message is for. Yeah. 
And just let me go on record, most of the time when I'm preaching, I'm preaching to myself. I'm not even thinking about you. Even if I know what's going on in your life, even if I know because you've let me know or I've seen it, or whether God showed me and revealed me in the Holy Ghost, most of the time I'm preaching to myself. I'm not preaching at you, but it's a bad and a dangerous place when we start sitting around thinking, oh, so-and-so needs to hear this, and so-and-so needs to hear that. No, the first thing that I need to say is every word is profitable for me. That's a good word. I need to hear that. That's something I need to stand on. That's something I need inside of my heart and inside of my life. There needs to be an amen in my spirit. Amen in my spirit. An amen that says, let it be, let it be. Let the word of God be. Yes, Lord. There's an amen in my spirit every time the word goes forth. We can can have blind spots in our life. So I want to talk to you about guarding against blind spots. Guarding against blind spots takes work, and it takes effort. It's not something that's automatic. It's not just something that we, that we should not think about. It's something we should intentionally focus on in our life. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. I'll never forget walking through the museum in Oklahoma City of, of the infantry that went in and captured Hitler. And I remember we were there, and this, these were the guys. Uh, it's in Oklahoma City. It's, it's an interesting little museum if you ever get a chance to go there. These were the guys that came into the bunker when he was there, when they found him. He had already taken his own life, but they came in among his stuff, and it goes through all that thing. And one of the things that they have in that museum is they have the mirror, the mirror from that room, from that place, his bunker where he would have gotten dressed. And there's a little thing there. And as I stand there and I look at that mirror, I stood there in that moment and it was a little bit of a surreal moment because I can see, I could envision, I could imagine the man that I've seen in video clips and pictures as he stands before that mirror and he adjusts his uniform, as he straightens his mustache, as he, as he finishes his hair, whatever the issue, he stood before that looking in there, looking into that mirror. Did he see? Did he know what was going on? Here he was beholding his own image, but he was drunk on his image. He could not see into his life. And we, as I stood there and I began to think how much evil, how much evil stood in front of this mirror. As I began to stand there right there, it was almost as if the Lord just prompted me to think about that. Here you are looking in that mirror. You should not be worried about Hitler because you won't have to stand to give an account for his actions. You won't have to worry about the things that he did, but someday you're going to have to stand. Hitler didn't see himself for the evil and the atrocity. He justified himself. And in that moment, in a split second, I, I winced away because I thought, wow, how many times do we look in the mirror, but we justify ourselves? We also, we don't see those things. We've got to guard against the blind spots. We've got to look at it and say, okay, God, let me see. Let me see what needs to be changed inside of my life. Does anybody hear what I'm saying today? The Lord is saying you will never be a benefit to your brother. You will never be able to help somebody else in the church. You'll never be able to lead them to a place of healing. You'll never be able to help them remove some things in their life until you take care of your own heart, until you first take care of your own self. That's why he said you leave your gift on the altar and you go 
make amends before you come in and you try to be a great worshiper and a great sacrifice. No, until you're taking care of yourself. And you could say, I've laid everything. He said, don't you even enter into worship. Oh, I would to God that we would make that our practice again. Let us be careful that we don't walk in pious. Amen. Thank God for how you made me and we worship on a Sunday, but we harbor things inside of our own life. So we've got to guard against blind spots. And quickly, this is where accountability and submission comes into play as some of our greatest assets. We must recognize that we are accountable. We are accountable. Amen. We are accountable, number one, to the Word of God. Psalm 119 and 89 says, Forever, O Lord, Thy word is settled in heaven. His word is established. It's settled. It's not changing. It's not in flux. And we must give an account for what the word of God declares. We won't be able to stand before God. We will not be able to use the argument, Lord, I did not know. We will not be able to say, Lord, I did not know. No, we will have to give an account His word is established. Everything you need to know is in the Word of God. That's why you need to be in the Word of God. That's why I need to be in the Word of God. That's why we come to church three times a week to hear the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. That's why we come with a heart and a spirit open. Let the Word do surgery on me. Let it speak to me. Let it cut away the things that, that I need to, to dismiss and to, and to leave behind. Forever your Word is settled in heaven. Not only am I accountable to the Word of God which speaks the truths and the things in which and the ways in which I must walk, but I am accountable to the Spirit of God. Because the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16 and 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward Him. And, and uh, those who are perfect towards Him, He said, the Lord's going to be there. He's going to show Himself strong in the eyes of the Lord are going to and fro. Can I tell you, you can fool mom and dad. You can fool your husband and you can fool your wife. You can fool your children. You can fool your friends. You can fool your neighbor, your co-worker. You can pull the wool over the pastor's eyes, but you cannot fool God. God sees all and God knows all. And you better allow that Spirit of God to lead you and let your conscience speak to you. You know when you cheat. You know when you steal. Even in the little thing, be careful when you silence that. No, let there be a Spirit that says, Okay, God, work inside of me. When you do those things that nobody else is seeing, you've got to understand, No, I've got to give an account before the Lord. I've got to give an account before the Lord. And not only are we accountable to the Word of God, to His Word forever settled that does not change, and to the Spirit of God, but we also have to give an account. We give an account to spiritual authority in our life. There's no one in Scripture that was above or beyond spiritual authority. Even the prophets had a prophet. Hear me. Even the prophets had a prophet. Remember the prophet, I think it's in Jeremiah, maybe it's in Chronicles, and he's coming and he's going on his way, maybe it's in Chronicles, and he, he's going on his way, and the Lord gave him a specific word, I think it was, uh, has to be in Chronicles, has to be in Chronicles or Kings, 
and he's on his way to Jeroboam. He gives Jeroboam the prophecy, and God said, go give him the word, and then you get back home. You don't stop. You don't go in. You don't do anything. And he was on his way home, and another man came out to him and said, hey, come over and stay with us. And he said, I can't. The word of the Lord told me I've got to go home. And I'm paraphrasing the story loosely. And he said, come on in. Come on in. I also am a man of God. I'm a prophet of God. You ought to stay here with us. And, and we'll, make, we'll, we'll, we'll have fellowship and we'll hang out here. And that, the first prophet said, okay, well, he's a man of God. He's a prophet also. All right. And so he went in and he stayed and he ate dinner with him. And the other prophet said, listen, you shouldn't have come in. I know I invited you. I know I tried to get you here, but it was a test to see whether or not you would obey the word of God. But because you disobeyed the word of God, he said, you'll be taken and torn asunder. And as that prophet left to finally go home and run back home to amend his wrongs, he had already made the mistake. There comes out a lion to devour him. Even prophets had spiritual authority. Even prophets had prophets. Jeremiah said this, I will give you <coughs> pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And Paul would go on from that and he would say, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the edifying, for the perfecting of the saints and for the edifying of the church. God puts spiritual authority. He puts people in your life. Can I tell you, the greatest asset that I have in my life has been spiritual authority in my life. I thank God I still have men and people in my life that I tell them, if you see anything, I want you to speak into my life. I want you to say something. I still have a pastor that I let him know, hey, if you hear anything, I want you to call me. I want you to come. Do whatever you've got to do because it is important that we don't allow ourselves to live with blind spots. We've got to be accountable. Accountable. We're accountable not only Amen to them, but the ministry is accountable to the flock of God. First Thessalonians says this in 5 and 12, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. He's endorsing the fact that, yes, there are those that God has set over you to admonish you. Yes, there are those that God has sent, amen, to speak into your life, but you know them that labor among you. He goes on, and esteem them very highly in love for the word's sake. Yes, you'll be loved and be at peace among yourselves, but you know them that labor among you. Amen. There's an accountability. Amen. There's an accountability there. There's a, there's a mutual accountability. You've got to know them that labor among you. You've got to know them. They've got to be of integrity and they've got to be of character and they've got to be of the word of truth. Amen. Hallelujah. There's an accountability there. We've got to walk in the ways of God because this isn't man's church. This isn't my church. This isn't your church. Amen. It's God's church. It's God's church. But not only that, not only are we accountable, but we've got to be submitted to. And here's the issue. And I'll come to a close with this. We've got to be submitted. You'll have blind spots in your life if you're not submitted in your spirit. Because you won't see what you don't want to see. Can I say that again? You won't see what you don't want to see. 
things change. You get used to it. You get accustomed to it. You don't notice it. Have you ever walked into somebody's house and they are no longer aware of the smell? Have you ever gone someplace? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. And they lived with something so long that they don't, they don't realize it. I'll never forget being in New Brunswick, Canada the very first time. And they're up in those massive forests, huge, massive forests, where the paper mills. And if you've ever been next to a paper mill, oh my goodness. It's worse, worse than anything else. I was like, oh, oh, I'll never forget. I went to I was there seven-day revival. I'd been there like the first day, I hadn't even got through the first day, and I'm just like, oh, I'm just walking around the house like this. Oh, God, help me. And they're, and they're like, yep, it's really bad today. I'm like, how do you live with this? They're like, oh, you get used to it. It'll blow past. It never blew past. You just got used to it. You don't see what you don't want to see. And you've got to be submitted. He says this in James chapter 4. In verse 7, he begins, it says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. You've got to come to a place where there's a gravity that goes on. It's okay to come to the Lord and come to the altar and find yourself in weeping because this is a serious matter. Now, the joy of the Lord is our strength. I thank God for that. We ought to have more joy, but in dealing in this matter, there ought to be a gravity that pulls you back to the place. There ought to be a, a thing that says, okay, God, I've got to get serious with this thing. Lord, forgive me. Can I tell you, you ought to learn to shed tears before the face of God. You don't have to shed tears before other people. You, 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 don't have, you can be stoic and all that stuff, but in your own time, you ought to find a closet. You ought to find an altar. You ought to find a place where you get down and come to a place where you say, oh, wretched man that I am. God, I need your grace. I need your mercy. God, I need your forgiveness. God, make me over. God, I want to be like you. Lord, here I am. I fall on my face before the Lord. David went in seven days after Nathan stood before him. And he shuts himself in and he shuts everybody else out. He shuts his family out. He shuts his servants out. He shuts his wife out and he says, this is me and God. At the end of the day, I've got to be right before the Lord. And he goes to prayer and he goes praying and fasting for these seven days. And in praying, he comes out with the most beautiful psalm, Psalm chapter 4. Uh, 51 what a beautiful beautiful psalm and if you take that psalm and you lay it out and you begin to pray it and you let your spirit and you let your heart truly express the word of psalm 51 I don't know how many times I've gone into prayer and I've opened up psalm 51 and I just began praying it and I didn't even I wasn't even able to make it all the way through the chapter and your heart is broken your soul is poured out have mercy upon God have mercy oh God according to thy loving kindness God bless 
blot out my transgression. God, wash me, Lord, he says. God, he goes on, purge me, God. Cleanse me. Uphold me with thy free spirit. Here's the king of the world. Here's the king. Here's the man who defeated Goliath with one stone as a son, as a boy, as a child. Here's the man that conquered. Here's the man who has the praises of all of Israel. And yet he lays himself before God. He's afflicted, he's mourning, he's weeping, and his heaviness, and he humbles himself in the sight of God. Can I tell you, we've got to be submitted to the Lord. We've got to be submitted to the Lord. We've not only got to be submitted to the Lord, we've got to be submitted to the Word of God. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. His Word gives me the steps to take. Can we be honest? Every mistake I've made, every wrong turn I've made has been because I did not, I did not follow after the ways of God. And I thought better what I should do. In my, can we be honest? Come on, my mistakes, I, I don't need to cast blame on somebody else if I'd really be honest with myself because the Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When the Word of God is at work in your life, you will not stumble because it's illuminating the things of God before you. It's only in those moments where we have a blind spot that we cannot see. Go with me to Romans chapter number 10. Is this all right tonight? I'm telling you, I'm seeing people, we, we're, dealing with, we're dealing with blind spots. We see it in other people, we see it in churches and ministry and movements and and denominations, these massive blind spots. God, I don't want to have a blind spot. Forget about them. I don't want to have a blind spot of my own life. In chapter 10, in verse 14, he says this, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And now he quotes Isaiah, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But he goes on and he says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yea, verily their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. He's saying the issue of disobedience was not because they didn't hear the word. They heard the word, but yet they chose not to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've got to be submitted to the word of God in my life. Folks, can I tell you there is a blessing when the word of God is at work in your life. Don't you ever be ashamed for being an apostolic. Don't you ever be ashamed for exalting the Word of God. Don't you ever be ashamed. Don't you ever be ashamed for trying to live your life according to the Word of God. Don't worry about what the word, world thinks. Don't worry about the, what the world says about how you dressed and how you act and what you don't partake in and what you're not doing. Don't you worry about that. You follow the Word of God. Can I tell you, when you submit to the Word of God, the blessings of God are greatly upon you. 
Amen. Come to the music. I, I got I to close. At least give them hope. You got to submit to the Word of God. You know, God, and I'm, I may just pause. I may just hold off here. It may not finish tonight. But the Word of God is so powerful. Do you know in the Old Testament, this is, this is powerful to think about. In the Old Testament, the Lord told Israel, He said, if you go, if you follow after my commandments, when they left Egypt, the Lord told them, if you do the things that I say, He gave them a promise. He said, none of these diseases shall come upon you. The diseases he was speaking about, hear me, the diseases he was talking about, he was not talking about the normal ailments and sickness that anybody can get in life. We all, you know, our body is in decay, unfortunately. But he was talking about the diseases that were connected to sin. The diseases that were a result of sin. He said, none of the diseases that are a product of sin will come upon you if you obey my word. Can I tell you that's still true today? Science and medicine has now acknowledged, they've acknowledged that if two virgins come together, if two healthy virgins come together, a man and a woman, and they are married, and they keep themselves in a monogamous relationship for life, Science and medicine says it is impossible for them to get an STD because they're fulfilling the Word of God. Because that is a disease that is a product of sin. Now, this isn't popular preaching today because the world wants to excuse everything. and They want to rationalize everything. But I'm going to tell you, if you live for the Lord, God, that word is, that promise is still true. None of these diseases will come upon you. In the Old Testament, leprosy was not the leprosy of today. We, we, modern people a few hundred years ago said this is leprosy, but it's not the same. Leprosy of the day attacks the nervous system and pieces of people's body fall off, get burn off, sores. They stand too long because they can't feel and they do damage to their own self. But leprosy in the Old Testament was not like that. Leprosy in the Old Testament was a blemish. It was spot and it would come up. The first time that you read about leprosy, that's why there was the law of leprosy. The law of leprosy was talking about being cleansed. And there were certain things you had to go through to be cleansed. The law of leprosy was God's way to redeem someone that had become unclean. The first time we see leprosy in Scripture comes against whom? It's Miriam, the sister of Moses. And the reason why she got leprosy was not because she contracted it from the world, but it was because she lifted up her voice and she spoke against God's anointed and God's word. He had just said, if you do what I say, if you walk in my ways, none of these diseases will come upon you. And she did not listen to the word of God. She did not submit to the word of God. And she went out on her own way and boom, God gives her this disease. And she sent outside the camp, and it was the grace of God, the law of God. After the seventh day, they examined her again. After her repentant state and her willingness to be cleansed, that she was found clean and she was brought back into the camp. Thank God for that. But I'm going to tell you, don't you ever apologize for living your life according to the Word of God. 
Because you don't know what you are keeping out of your life. You don't know what kind of sickness and disease. You don't know what kind of physical and mental and emotional things you are keeping yourself from when you submit to the word of God. That's why Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You can do whatever you want, but I'm going to follow after the Lord. I don't want to live with blind spots. I don't want to live with blind spots in my life. Would you stand together with me tonight? So I've got to come like David did in Psalm 139, verse 23. And it's got to be my prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. When was the last time you took a, you took a, Facility audit of your temple. You know, the Bible says we're the temple of the Holy Ghost. Come on, what's found in the lobby of the temple? Come on, is there money changers? Is there, is there ways of manipulation where you're building it up for your own gain? Or is it really a house of prayer? Is it really a house of worship? Come on, what, what's in your temple? You need to do a facility audit of your conversation. You need to do a facility audit of your meditation. He, he goes on and would pray, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable. God, I want you to even examine my mind. I want you to examine the meditations of my heart. Don't let there be blind spots. We got to guard against blind spots today. Church, can I call you today to an altar tonight? Can I call you to a place just to reevaluate yourself? Can I call you to a place, come on, where you can look and say, God, I want you to show me. I don't expect God to work everything out and perfect right now. No, He's still working on us. We're a process. But what I want tonight is for my spirit and my heart to say, God, I want to give you license in my life to speak to me. I'm inviting someone to come, a healthy person, spiritually mature person to come and help me get these specks out of my eyes because God, that caused such irritation. God, I'm welcoming to the body of Christ to be able to minister, but God, there's got to be, I've got to remove the blind spots in my life. Come on, can you join me today? Can you come and say, God, here I am tonight. God, here I am tonight, Lord, I, I need you. God, this isn't for anybody else. This isn't for another. This is for me tonight. God, I need your word. I, I, I need the lamp. I need the light. I need you.